Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for the immense privilege it is to be able to hear from your word in public in this country. Lord, we do not have a fear that people may come in at any point during this public gathering and arrest people, take names of pastors and remove us from this location as a result of us studying your word together. Oh Lord, we cannot take this for granted when we consider that many of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world cannot do what we're doing here this morning. So Lord, we pray that we may not take it for granted and we may feast upon your word with the great enjoyment that we should have. And so Lord, we pray that we may indeed be blessed. May we enjoy what we learn this morning and may it serve us in helping advance your kingdom in whatever way we can do in the weeks to come. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I think we all know what it is to count, to number things. It's a regular part of our lives. And particularly now for Jill and myself, we are teaching uh, our children how to count. And that is an interesting experience in itself, uh, training them to be able to number different things. And there are the right times for them to count things. So that's when we're particularly trying to teach them to count. And they may be a bit resistant at those times. But then there's wrong times that they are to count as well. And so that can often be to do with terms of food on their plate. They're so focused on how much is on their plate and they don't want to eat and they're counting everything that is there and working out how many is the required number before they're allowed to leave the table. And we just like them to stop counting and eat what is put in front of them. And at other times it's a matter of counting what the other person has and if they want to eat that particular thing, uh, whether it's lollies, they're busy counting how many the other person has and how many they have and seeing if there's an inequality that is going on and a lack of justice being shown in our household. And then there's other times there's the wrong time to count as well, not just in terms of food, but when you're trying to read a story to them, particularly um, often I find this when we're doing our family devotions and I'm reading a Bible story and I'm busy reading what's there on the page and there's a picture there and I count, I count, and they want to count the number of fish that's in the picture or the number of sheep that's in the picture, something in the picture. And so there's this distraction of counting something that isn't needing to be counted at that point and it's actually a distraction from the task at hand. So we know that there are times to count and there's also times where it's not the right thing to be doing, not to be counting something. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning in Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30, uh, there's a particular law that is given to the Israelites by Moses. So the Israelites have come out of Egypt and they've come to Mount Sinai and Moses is receiving the law and included in that law is something about not counting, that there is a time when you are not to count a thing in particular. And what is that? Well, that brings me to my first main point this morning. Taking a census was sin. Taking a census, a census is a particular counting of people. Taking a census is sin. And we see that in Exodus chapter 30, verse 11 and 12. It says, if you've got a Black Church Bible, it's page 84 of your Black Church Bibles. Exodus chapter 30, we see at verse 11 it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, When you take a census of the Israelites to count them, each one must pay the Lord a ransom for his life at the time he is counted. Then no plague will come on them when you number them. 
And so here we see that this particular rule is given to the Israelites, that if they are to count the number of Israelites to take a census, then this is actually wrong by what is said needs to happen. A ransom for the person's life needs to be taken, demonstrating that something bad has happened. And then also the consequence if you don't take a ransom also implies that this is a wrong thing to do. And that is there in verse 12 as well. Then no plague will come on them when you number them. It's clear that numbering God's people, the Israelites, is the wrong thing to do. By the fact that a ransom needs to be taken and by the fact that death will come, a plague will come, if you number God's people. You may be asking, okay, so what's wrong with counting the number of God's people here? Why does God give a law about this? Surely it's okay to take a head count of God's people, and in fact we see headcounts of God's people coming up. Uh, the book of Numbers is called Numbers partly because it's full of numbers of God's people. Why is it so wrong to take a census of God's people? Well, I think verse 14 gives us a little clue as to why it is wrong, and that is it says who is to be counted and who is to be ransomed. Verse 14 says, All who cross over those 20 years old or more are to give an offering to the Lord. All those 20 years old or more. So it's not the children that you're interested in. It's those who are 20 years old or more that need to be redeemed. They need to have a ransom paid for them. And so, I mean, let's face it, the people who are 20 years or old are the ones that are the most productive in life. They're the ones who are going to give uh, most prosperity to the country. If you just think in our country, how much economic value do... 15-year-olds provide to the country. Yes, they might get their parents to buy different technologies for them, different phones and things, and so there is a whole sort of marketing that is aimed at children, but it's primarily aimed at children to get their parents to leverage their parents to purchase things on their behalf. Children do not bring much economic prosperity to the country. They don't actually contribute much at that age. And we see that here is a particular charge about those who are 20 years or older are the ones who are to be ransomed. And I think what is the problem with the census is that it reflects uh, interest, an unhealthy interest in people because of a heart problem of a reliance on human strength. So at heart there's this interest in human strength that then is shown by counting people. And another part of the Bible demonstrates this with David in 2 Samuel chapter 24. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 24, page 322 of your Black Church Bibles. 322, 322. 2 Samuel chapter 24, and we'll read from verse 1. And this is King David and he is going to do a census, and I think we can see quite quickly that the census reflects a deep heart problem that needs to be resolved. Chapter 24 of Second Samuel, verse 1. We read, Again the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go and take a census of Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab and the army commanders with him, Go throughout the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and enroll the fighting men so that I may know how many there are. But Joab, who, if you know anything about Joab, he's a bit of a rascal himself, 
Look what he says in verse 3 though. But Job replied to the king, May the Lord your God multiply the troops a hundred times over, and may the eyes of my Lord the king see it. But why does my Lord the king want to do such a thing? Joab knows better here. Then verse 4, The king's word, however, overruled Joab and the army commanders. So they left the presence of the king to enroll the fighting men of Israel. After crossing the Jordan, they camped near Arur, south of the town in the gorge, and then went through Gad and on to Jezer. They went to Gilead and the region of Tatim, Hodshi, and on to Danjan and around towards Sidon. Then they went towards the fortress of Tyre and all the towns of the Hivites and Canaanites. Finally, they went on to Beersheba in the Negev of Judah. After they had gone through the entire land, they came back to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and twenty days. Joab reported the number of the fighting men to the king. In Israel, there were 800,000 able-bodied men who could handle a sword, and in Judah, 500,000. And then in a moment we'll see what happens as a result uh, with verse 10. It says David was conscience-stricken. We see what happens in a moment. But here we see what is David's motivation for conducting a census. He wants to know the fighting power of Israel. He wants to know how many soldiers he has so that he can rely on human strength rather than the Lord for overcoming enemies. And so we see that a census is seen by God as a symptom of a deep heart problem, that you're relying on human strength rather than on God who should be your strength. Now the question is, was it really a big deal to depend on human strength, to have this interest in human strength rather than on God? I mean, in our house, we find that counting isn't always the best thing to do in every situation. But do we take it that seriously when someone decides, I count, when we're reading a Bible story and gets in the way of the story, is it that big a deal? Do we discipline people for such action in our house? Should taking a census really be that big a deal? Well, we see that it is a big deal in the eyes of God. And that brings me to my second main point. Taking a census brought death. Taking a census brought death. And we see that back in Exodus chapter 30 in verse 12, that that is the warning that is given. Exodus chapter 30, verse 12, we read, When you take a census of the Israelites to count them, each one must pay the Lord a ransom for his life at the time he is counted. Then no plague will come on them when you number them. God takes it very seriously when you you have this heart problem of depending on human strength rather than God, having an unhealthy interest in numbers of people, numbers of human resources that you have at your disposal, rather than depending on God. And in fact, because of such an interest, death comes as a result. And if you look at Second Samuel chapter 24, verse 10, we see that God fulfills on this promise that this will happen. Turn with me to Second Samuel 24, if you flip back to Exodus 30. 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse uh, 10, page 323 of your Black Church Bibles. Verse 10 says, David was conscience-stricken after he had counted the fighting men. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, O Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. 
Before David got up the next morning, the word of the Lord had come to Gad, the prophet David's seer. Go and tell David, this is what the Lord says, I am giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. So Gad went to David and said to him, Shall there come upon you three years of famine in your land? Or three months of fleeing from your enemies while they pursue you? Or three days of plague in your land? Now then, think it over and decide how I should answer the one who sent me. David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But do not let me fall into the hands of men. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel from that morning until the end of the time designated, and 70,000 of the people from Dan to Beersheba died. When the angel stretched out his hand to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord was grieved because of the calamity and said to the angel who was afflicting the people, Enough! Withdraw your hand. The angel of the Lord was then at the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. When David saw the angel who was striking down the people, he said to the Lord, I am the one who has sinned and done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? Let your hand fall upon me and my family. So here we see an instance of someone taking a census, having that unhealthy interest in human resources and reflecting a dependence upon human strength rather than on God. And as a result, a plague comes. And so you see that that... It's sort of like the the result of being interested in human resources. Some human resources are then taken away. That the punishment then removes the thing that you've been interested in. And here, in this case, 70,000 people dying from that large number that they counted is then reduced by a plague. So it is quite a serious sin in God's eyes to depend upon human resources, on human strength rather than upon him. Is that the only outcome, though, if you take a census, if you number the people? Is that only outcome is that death will come? No, God did provide a way of numbering God's people without plague coming on them for this interest in human strength. And what is that? Well, that brings me to my third main point this morning. Taking a census brought death unless a ransom was paid. Taking a census brought death unless a ransom was paid. And we see that in verse 12. Turn with me back to page 84, Exodus chapter 30. Verse 12, it says, When you take a census of the Israelites to count them, each one must pay the Lord a ransom for his life at the time he is counted. Then no plague will come on them when you number them. We see here that there is a way of making atonement for that sin of being interested in human resources in an unhealthy fashion. And that is by paying a ransom to have that person not die. And so what does this ransom do? This ran- a ransom is, of course, uh, something where you it's a payment that is made to avoid a penalty, to get something back. We pay a ransom price. What did this ransom do? Well, the verses uh, in Exodus chapter 30 tell us that they atoned for sin. Verse 15 says, The rich are not to give more than a half shekel, and the poor are not to give less when you make the offering to the Lord to atone for your lives. And then verse 16, Receive the atonement money from the Israelites and use it for the service of the tent of meeting. This payment that is made atones, brings you back into a right relationship with God, Despite the sin that has been committed, is real sin, 
but the payment is made so that you are atoned, that that sin is covered over, that the wrath of God is averted. And in this case, the atonement that is brought by the ransom also brings life. It brings new life to these people. Instead of being destroyed by a plague, they are given life and able to continue to live. What was the ransom price that needed to be paid? Well, verse 13 tells us, each one who crosses over to those already counted is to give a half shekel according to the sanctuary shekel which weighs 20 geras. There's a half shekel that needs to be paid. And the question then is, was there any other way to atone for the census that has been taken? No, God said very specifically that there was only one way that atonement could be made for a person. It was the same amount regardless of who you were. What do we see in verse 15? It says, The rich are not to give more than half a shekel, and the poor are not to give less when you make an offering to the Lord to atone for your lives. And it all had to be according to a special measurement. Verse 13, Each one who crosses over to those already counted is to give a half shekel according to the sanctuary shekel, which weighs 20 geras. So make sure that you're giving it according to the sanctuary shekel rather than some other's dodgy measurement uh, that may not be reliable. It had to be an exact amount for everyone, rich or poor. Everyone paid the same price to atone for the sin of being numbered, of having that unhealthy interest, to be cooperating and being involved in finding out their human strength so they could rely more on human strength rather than upon God. So here we see that taking a census was a sin. We see that taking a census brought death. And we see that taking a census brought death unless a ransom was paid. This is all very interesting, but or maybe not so interesting uh, for you. But we've got to ask, why is this here in our Bibles for us today? Is there any lesson we can learn from this? Is there a principle that we can see in this passage that we can learn from and understand more about ourselves and understand more about God. Well, I think there is a lesson from this passage that we can learn. And that brings me to my fourth main point. Dependence on human strength is sin. Dependence on human strength is sin. It was sin in the time of Moses. It was sin in the time of David. And it is a sin in the time of us today. As human beings created by God, we are to rely completely on God for strength. Now that doesn't mean that we can't look to help from other humans. Yes, God does put humans in our lives to help us, but that is the point. God puts humans in our lives to help us, and we should see help from other human beings as a blessing from God, not simply from them towards us. And so we can see in our lives at times that we can rely on human strength rather than God as well. We've all done it. And we can see it by the fact that we often will count things as well to make us feel that we can be dependent upon ourselves or others rather than upon God. Now how does that manifest itself? Well, I don't think any of us are here in charge of a country. So I don't think any of us can say that we commit, uh, we do a census of people who are within our country, and so that is one way that we can see our reliance upon human strength. But there's other ways that we can do it. How else can we investigate our human strength, count it, 
which can ref shows a reflection that we are depending upon human strength. Well, I've come up with a few ideas as to how you can see it. Human dependence can be shown by an unhealthy counting of just physical exercise. You see some people who really look to themselves and their own physical strength and they are so interested in that that they think they can live forever. They're constantly in their exercise, going round, doing laps of certain things. How, how quickly can you do it? How many reps can you do of this particular thing? And their whole lives are focused around their physical exercise and they're counting. They're counting, counting, counting. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't count and do physical exercise. But there's an unhealthy interest that can be shown by people taking a census of their own bodily strength. And they think that if I just am this physically fit, nothing can touch me. And so they're no longer reliant upon God to be physically strong in this world. They're reliant upon themselves. I'm so fit. I've counted how much I can do in comparison to other people and no one can touch me. And it can also, a second way, could be the way that people count in terms of diets. We see this, this is a, a really a first world problem, isn't it, of counting of physical exercise, counting of diets. But people will count what food they eat, they, they work out what is the best thing for them, and that becomes a whole focus of their life. They're always interested in food and working out, counting their kilojoules and counting how much of different things that they eat, whether it be um, the different chemicals and the salt, potassium, you're going through. They're always working out, if I count all this, then I will live forever. They have this kind of mentality that they're going to be okay, they're going to live for at least a very long time. And so what do they depend upon with all this counting? It shows that they depend upon themselves and their human strength through counting this food rather than God. Now that's not saying that you can't count what you eat and be interested in a healthy diet, but a regular counting can often show an unhealthy interest and that there is no longer this interest in God being the one who strengthens you, but there's an interest in food as being the thing that strengthens you and you will be okay because you eat right. No disease will touch you because you're eating right. What are other ways that we can see unhealthy counting in our lives, which reflects a dependence upon human strength rather than God? Well, counting of money. Money is a resource that we see as a way of engaging other human resources, human strength, to then work in our lives. And we can see that. I mean, it's not saying that you can't ever count your money that's in your wallet or count how much is in your bank balance, but some people become quite obsessed with it. And they're always counting their money. They're counting how much they spend. They're counting how much is coming in. And they're always looking at their money. And why are they doing that? Well, sometimes it's because they're seeing that as the source of human strength that makes them untouchable. And so they're no longer interested in seeing for, looking to God for strength in their lives. They're looking to their bank balance as a way of engaging human resources so that no matter what happens, if there's another big global financial crisis, I'm going to be okay. Not because God is with me, but because of my bank balance. And so there's this counting that happens that we do, and it's wrong if there's an unhealthy interest that's going on. What other ways can we show an unhealthy human dependence? Well, that can be shown by unhealthy counting of knowledge. People can count uni degrees. I've got a couple to my name. Does that mean that I'm untouchable? That I can rely upon the knowledge? I'll, I'll, I'll survive anything because I know everything. And I know how to get myself out of any tricky situation. 
I'll be okay. And some people do that. They, they count how many books they've read, they count how many degrees they have, and there's this counting of knowledge, which demonstrates a human dependence rather than a dependence upon God. Other ways that we can count is with good works. People count how good they are. They think they'll be okay because I'm a very good person. Or religious exercises. I pray so much. I read my Bible so much. I give so much to the poor. I do all these things. I can rely upon my own self to be okay because, of course, God will look with favour on me because of my human strength that has done these things. Other ways, medical technologies are a way of human resources that we can rely upon. And so some people have an unhealthy interest in how many doctors they've seen and how many surgeries they've had and how many pills they take and I'll be safe because of all these things. And that's not saying that you can't engage in medical technologies, but some people, they become very focused on it. And they think that they don't need God. What they need is a good surgeon. And that's not true. Yes, we do engage such medical technologies, but we can have an unhealthy interest in them and so that God is pushed out of the picture and we're no longer relying on God for help. And some people will count family members, count how many people, how many children they have, how many grandchildren they have, and so they think they'll be okay because there will always be someone to look after them. You see that in some countries, they really do try to have lots of kids. Why do you have lots of kids? Because you'll need, particularly in um, impoverished countries, because you'll need someone to look after you when you're older, because you don't have Centrelink like we do in Australia. And so there's this unhealthy interest in having lots of kids and counting on them or family members like um, cousins, I've got so many connections with family members, I'm going to be okay. And so there's an unhealthy interest in counting people, even in your life, whether it be family members and also friends. I mean, you can count how many people are on Facebook that are friends with you. Let me be honest with you, it doesn't really mean much that they're friends with you. You can have a thousand friends on Facebook, and some people boast in that, or a million followers on Twitter, as some of the celebrities do. And you think you're above everything and you can rely on others to help you because you've got so many friends, you've got so many followers that you don't need God. But what you're doing, you're showing by your counting an unhealthy dependence upon human strength. And other people will actually count on politicians and political contacts. No one can touch me because I know this politician, I know this politician, I know this politician. Let me tell you that that reflects an unhealthy interest in human strength. And some people can get caught up in politics, not necessarily because they know the politicians, but they think that politics is the answer, that they will bring salvation to the country and to them if we just have the right political party in power and I'll do everything I can to try and get that political party in power, then we'll be saved, I'll be safe. Which demonstrates an unhealthy interest in human strength, counting how many votes are for your, your political party, and a healthy interest in human strength rather than in God. And even children, we can have an unhealthy interest in counting things as well. We can count how many years are left in our lives. We think we're young, we'll be safe for a long time to come. We don't have to worry about God. We don't need God. I'm young, I'm fit, I'll be okay. How many toys we have. I'll be able to be okay for a long time. I don't need God. I've got all the pleasures in my life that I need. 
When we do that, when we're counting, and I've seen when I was a child, people would say, I have this number of PlayStation games, as though suddenly that makes them safe. That makes them, they're going to be genuinely happy for the rest of their life because they've got this many. I always had a paltry number of computer games, but I always said quality is better than quantity. So as long as I choose the right computer games, I'd be able to enjoy those. But there were some children, there was how many they had. And I think that it, it starts young, that we have this interest in numbers of things as though that will make us happy. And if we have those things, we don't need God. We've got human strength to provide us with things. And we don't then need God to help us. But is it really that big a deal to depend on human strength rather than God? Well, we need to remember that dependence on human strength brings death. And that's my fifth main point this morning. Dependence on human strength brings death. It is sin to go after humans as your source of strength and to rely upon them rather than on God. And we have to realise that it does bring death. We see death in this world comes to those who rely on human strength and death in the next world comes to those who rely on human strength. Look with me at Psalm 49, that psalm that we opened this service this morning. Turn with me there, page 560, because this draws this out so nicely for us. Psalm 49, verse 7. Psalm 49, verse 7, page 560 of your Black Church Bibles. For it says, No man can redeem the life of another or give God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and not see decay. For all who can, all can see that wise men die, the foolish and the senseless alike perish, and leave their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain, their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. Someone who had great political contacts there, if they named lands after themselves. But where do they go? They die as well. Verse 12, But man, despite his riches, does not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. Like sheep they are destined for the grave, and death will feed on them. The upright will rule over them in the morning, their forms will decay in the grave, far from their princely mansions. doesn't matter how big your house is, and you can count how many square metres you have in your house and think that you're going to be okay, it's going to be worth so much on the property market. If you have a major crisis, you'll be able to sell it and you'll be okay. doesn't matter. Such a dependence on human strength does bring death. You are like the beasts that perish. All the exercise that you do, all the diets that you do, all the money, knowledge, good works, religious works, medical advances that you embrace, family, friends and politicians you accumulate, political contacts, they won't save you from death. And such a dependence on human strength in that way, a regular counting and unhealthy interest that reflects that dependence on human strength, does bring death. Now we should all recognise that we've had unhealthy interests in that way. That we've all depended upon human strength in some way. We've all had an unhealthy interest at some point in something that reflects human strength. Is there no way to escape death? Is there no way? 
Well, that brings me to my sixth main point this morning. Dependence on human strength brings death unless a ransom is paid. Unless a ransom is paid. And that is the wonderful truth of the scriptures. That a ransom can be paid and has been paid for all those times that you've relied on human strength rather than God's strength. All those times you've counted your bank balance as a way of depending on human strength or all those times you've counted on physical strength, your exercise, your diets, those things, your friends, your family and thought that you're safe because of those things and then deserve death, a ransom has been paid for those times. Just like a ransom could be paid in the Old Testament for that census, so a ransom has been paid for all those little censuses that you've conducted in your life. What is that ransom? Well, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom, a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. So what does that ransom do of Christ? Well, it gives new life. Just like that ransom in the Old Testament gave new life to people so they could keep on living, so the ransom of Jesus Christ gives new life to us as well. We can actually live on, despite the fact that we've counted on human strength in the past and rejected God as our source of strength. We can have that new life. And that's what John 5.24 tells us. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Crossed over. Isn't that interesting in that Old Testament passage, Exodus 30, where there was this crossing over in the counting. They were crossed over as they were counted. And if they paid the shekel, they would cross over to life. And that's what's happened to us. The ransom has been paid and we have crossed over from death that we deserve to life. Life eternal. Because Christ has paid the death that we deserve. Instead of us dying for all that dependence on human strength, Christ comes and dies on our behalf. Someone who always depended upon God the Father for strength. Someone who never looked to human resources and counted up how many of his, how many people were following him as though that would give him his source of strength. He always depended upon God. And then he went to the cross to die for those who have depended upon human strength rather than God so that they could have life. Now is there another way of paying that ransom, that that ransom is paid? The answer is no. Just like we saw in the Old Testament, there was no other way of paying for someone to pass from death to life in that census. There had to be the half a shekel, according to the sanctuary shekel, it had to be that same for rich and for poor. Everyone paid the same. And so it is for us to be redeemed as well. There is no way that you can be redeemed otherwise. And that's what Psalm 49 tells us. It says in verse 7 of Psalm 49, page 560, No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and not see decay. There's no ransom that can be paid by man. But what does it say in verse 15 of Psalm 49? But God will redeem 
that same concept, ransom, the same Greek word, uh, I mean, Old Testament's written in Hebrew, but there's a translation, uh, early translation into Greek, and it's the same Greek word occurs again and again in this psalm, back in uh, Exodus 30, and then of course in the New Testament in terms of ransom as well. Verse 15, but God will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to himself. There's only one way, and that's if God redeems you. And God has only provided one redemption, and that is Jesus Christ. So how can you have Jesus be the ransom for you? For all those times that you've depended upon human strength and all those times that you've reflected that by the counting that you've done in your life of human resources. Well, it's by trusting that Jesus Christ died for you. It's by faith. It's not about what you pay. It's about what Christ has paid. And whether you believe that Jesus Christ died for you at the cross, that he died for all those times that you've depended upon your own strength and the strength of others rather than on God, your creator. And so if you haven't done that yet, if you've never trusted that Jesus Christ died for you, do it today. Depend on him and have eternal life. Because if you keep depending upon your own strength or the strength of others, and think that you're untouchable because of them, realize that you're doomed. The Bible is clear on it. You need to have Christ be that ransom for you. So do you recognize your past dependence on human strength? Do you recognize that you've depended upon humans and that you've manifested that dependence in the way that you've counted things in your lives? Do you recognize that such dependence on human strength is sin? Do you recognize that it brings death? Do you recognize that dependence on human strength can be atoned for in Jesus Christ? And if you do, have you then trusted that Jesus Christ is the ransom for your sin of relying on human strength rather than on God? Let's speak with our God now. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this part of your word that seems quite obscure to us, but does hold a great principle up for us, that we as sinful human beings often want to look at human resources instead of yourself for our strength. Lord, we pray that we may look to Christ to be that ransom price for all our sin of depending upon ourselves and depending upon others instead of yourself. Lord, we pray that each of us in this room has trusted that Jesus Christ died for us, the one who always depended upon you, that he then went to the cross and became sin for us. Lord, we pray that we may, if we have trusted in Jesus Christ, continue to depend upon you day by day. May we depend upon Christ for our salvation and then depend upon Christ and yourself and the Holy Spirit day by day rather than those around us. And when we look to those around us for help, may it be because we see that they are God-given gifts to us to help us, that they ultimately come from you. May we never count human resources as an end in itself, but may we always recognize that they are simply from you And Lord, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.